So if you are practicing this craft and you are ingesting all of these classic stories that have stood the test of time because they had information in them people could use, right? Uh, so they've stood the test of time, sometimes thousands of years. You can also not just learn to be a better storyteller, but you can learn how to use those stories. You can learn how to refer to those stories in your life and use them as they are intended to be used, right? You can use them to help you navigate the world. Hello, and welcome to You Are a Storyteller. In this episode, Brian and Jesse explore the cyclical nature of stories and how the classics of yesterday are fodder for the new ideas of today. From the ugly duckling to the epic of Gilgamesh and Star Trek to Moby Dick, ingesting stories that have stood the test of time will help you learn how to use those stories to navigate your life and become a better storyteller. On this week's episode, I want to ask you about a line that you said the other day, um, and I want to explore it further because since you've said it, it's really made um, it easier for me to connect the dots between different stories. Okay. Right? Like, I, I think I told you that, like, right next to my bed right now, I have Aesop's Fables and I have Grimm's Fairy Tales, right? And I've been mm-hmm. reading them, and we were just talking a minute ago before the show started about how, like, man, there's this Grimm's fairy tale. And I was like, it's dialed. And you're like, oh yeah, Jim Henson turned that into an episode. And we were talking about how like these stories don't ever go away. Mm-hmm. Right. And you said something the other day and it was just a quote where you just said, you just said like, well, I remember like stories that work will work forever. Mm-hmm. And the context of that is you were talking about um, leprosy. Oh, right. Remember that conversation? Will you, will I- you kind of tell the folks at home what you were, what, what you were talking about with leprosy? Yeah, well, I was driving into, I had to go to Belief for some, I haven't been in there very often since COVID, but I was driving there and I exited the freeway and there's, at that particular exit, there's always a lot of um, uh, homeless people. There's like a a camp, like a homeless camp. There are lots of tents and stuff. And there's always somebody with a sign, um, you know, um, asking for money or food or something. And um, I used to, like, I would give people money if I had it or food if I had it in the car. Um, but but uh, I saw somebody uh, pull over for somebody the other day or the day before this or something. And uh, this homeless person got kind of right in their face in the car and was talking to them. And I'm like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with during COVID having somebody um, who lives in one of these encampments. And, you know, it just seems dangerous to me. Um, and so um, I thought, well, I'll have to find another way to get money or whatever yeah. but anyway but 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 what struck me is that i didn't want this person anywhere near me this woman i saw with the sign because i you know and i just thought oh this is like leprosy this is a leper colony it's the same thing as the ancient i mean there are still people who have leprosy in places in the world but it's for us it's a very ancient idea a leper colony um, um for most of us anyway i would say um in this country and so i just thought oh Yes, like in old stories, because nothing changes, right? Nothing, everything's the same as it always has been. And that there are people with a disease and you don't want to be near them or they're, you know, and is that good? Is that bad? Whatever. But all these things uh, come back up because humans don't change over time. Um, We think we do because we wear different clothes or something, but people don't change. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember, is that what you were talking about? Yeah, yeah. And you, yeah. you said that, and then you said that line, mm-hmm. right? Um, you were talking to that, and then you're like, well, you know, stories that work will work forever because it's, 
it's still lessons we need to learn, right? Right. Like the clean, the unclean. How do we right. treat people, right? Right. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting because uh, I'd not even made the connection between, you know, COVID and how we treat people with COVID and how, and you're like, no, it's the same thing. Um, and then it, it led to another conversation. We were talking about how, how Neil Gaiman said that over time, stories always return to their original form. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, for instance, I think we were using was, um, was, uh, you know, like if somebody took Little Red Riding Hood <clears throat> and then in the middle of the story, she left the woods and she went to the beach for a day and then she came back into the woods to see her grandmother. <laughs> uh, over time, that would naturally fall away because it's not, it's not central to, you know, what the story's about, it's right? Not necessary, right? Um, it's not necessary. And how, you know, once you start to see how, you know, good stories will always be good stories, they might take a different form. Um, really, what I'm hoping for the audience to take out of this episode uh, is that the more you understand these ancient stories, the more you can realize that they're there as, as tools to help you kind of have breakthroughs and to go like, oh, wow, like, um, you know, Hanscrits and Anderson. It's like, oh, the ugly duckling. It's like, oh, if that story will always work, mm-hmm. oh, that's what I'm trying to say. That's uh, He said it this way. Maybe I can contextualize it this way, you know, right. in the whatever, Devil's Worth Prod or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's yeah. ways to kind of take um, that ancient wisdom um, that might be able to help you get unstuck. Like, the reason I'm reading, you got me that Aesop's book, that talked about his history. And that was super helpful for me to know because I didn't realize he was a slave and I didn't know all these things about him, right? Yeah. But in the book you got me, the language was difficult for me. Mm-hmm. So I got this other one and I've been trying to study armatures because like you have a way to like, you're so fast with armatures, mm-hmm. right? Where I, like I'm working on that project now, that one series of, you know, that show thing we're, that I'm working on. And I'd be like, hey, Brian, like I th- I'm trying to say this. Right? How do I turn mm-hmm. that into an armature? And you're like, oh, you should say it this way. And I'm like, man, I want to get faster at it. Like, like the mm-hmm. way that you seem to be able to like rattle them off that quickly. Um, so that's why I've been studying, you know, Aesop because he could always pull it down into that sentence, that provable sentence. Yeah. Unbelievable, man. Yeah. Like, even if it's just worth it just to read, because there'll be the story, right? It'll be like three paragraphs or something insane. His economy. We, we were talking about this earlier, how, like, you can't be good at what you do. And, in, in essence, if you're good at economy, you have to be really good at what you do. Yep. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you can boil it down to a sentence, you really know what you're talking about? Yeah, you understand it, which is almost what uh, Einstein said, right? That if you can't explain, I think it can't explain your idea to a five-year-old or something, mm-hmm. then you don't understand your idea. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think that's true. I think that you know, um, we hide behind intellect and big words and making things more complicated and we hide behind it. But really, um, if you truly understand it, you can simplify it. Um, that doesn't mean that all the nuances are there or everything, but the basic idea should be pretty simple, especially with stories. Yeah. Yeah. With most things. Right. You know, so, so I'm just saying, like, that's how I've been trying to study so I can get faster at it. Mm-hmm. Because I, I know you've just been doing it a long time, but it'll just be like trying to say something like this. And you'll be like, well, I think what you're trying to say is, you know, mm-hmm. slow study wins a race. And I'll be like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. And so it's, it's like as we talk about this kind of this idea of, like, you were driving in your car and you're like, oh, this is like leprosy. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So if you wanted to write a movie about COVID, it would probably be a really great thing for you to go back and study 
right? Um, yeah. You know how we how we how we treated uh, people with leprosy. Yeah. Right. I mean, right now you were just telling me a minute ago you've been going through a book on the class system. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a similar type of homework, or or, or is that just for you to? Uh, that's just. I'm just curious about that mm. about um, caste and how Americans use a caste system. Um, we've racialized our caste system for the most part, but um, anyway, it's a good book. So I'm just reading it to know more <laughs> yeah. about Got things. It. Okay. Yeah. 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 I didn't know if you if you, you were. I know you have some big projects you're working on. I didn't know if it was like part of like, oh, well, in essence, like, it just seems like the more that we can under, understand things in the past, right? Mm -hmm. Study stories from the past, study these things that worked, um, at least for somebody who maybe is sitting there stuck right now on their script or their campaign or what they're trying to do, it's like ghost, you know, there, there's clues, right? Like, yeah. it, in essence, if you build off of something you know has been working for thousands of years, the likelihood of your story working is, is a lot higher, right? Here's the thing that people don't understand about this, um, about learning this stuff. It's a practice. I say it all the time, and I don't know if people know what I mean. It's a practice, meaning you can't just show up on the day you need to come up with a campaign or the day you need to come up with an armature and have it come. It's like meditation. You can't sit down and go, I'm going to get enlightened today. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a practice. And so the more stories you have in your head, the more examples of armatures you have in your head. So it's not a big thing to read an Aesop's fable every day. It's not. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? Um, Most of them are not even a page. Yeah. Right? So... So if you, if you can read that, you can understand the beauty in the economy um, and how he, he was able to take a, an idea and, and dramatize it through the story. Um, and you, you ingest enough of that stuff, you're able to, uh, to pull it up. But you have to have enough of it to do that. You can't, you can't cram. You can't read them all in one day and go, okay, now I'll come up with armatures. Or, you know, it, it is a practice. And if you're mm -hmm. serious about it, you will practice. It's like the people I know who are illustrators. They practice, right? You know, yeah. uh, you know if they don't just sit down to draw the day they have to turn something in <laughs> at Pixar or something. You know, they draw all the time. Um, you know, one of my, my favorite comic book uh, illustrators, uh, classic uh, comic book illustrators is John Basima. And John Basima apparently drew all the time, like all the time when he was watching TV, when he was hanging out um, and he would go to Italy and then go to the museums and like draw sculptures and copy things. Like he was just always drawing. And, and I guess a lot of his original pages have drawings on the back of them. If, uh, mm. I don't have any jump cinema pages, but I, one day I'll, I'll get some, but, uh, but um, yeah, they have sketches on the back cause he just would always draw. Um, and that's how he got good at what he did. And I've seen that so much. Um, that that's just what it is. I mean, Bruce Lee got good at what he did because he practiced all the time. You know, it's like, it's a practice. Um, and it's better, I think, to think of it as a practice um, than, than maybe even an art. Um, mm. That if you are a craftsperson, it is about, this is your practice. Um, and you will get better because you practice. 
but there is no end goal, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to reach it. You're not going to reach the end of it. Uh, it doesn't have an ending. Um, you just get better and better and better and better at it. Um, and you have to be process oriented rather than goal oriented. Um, mm. Process, process will... oriented rather than goal oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So because off... if you wait to study until you actually have a deadline <laughs> and you have to ship whatever a, a, your novel or your film or your campaign or whatever, you, you like you said, you're cramming. You're like last night I read every one of Aesop's fables, and you're like, <laughs> okay, cool. Like yeah. there's no time for it to like settle. Right. And there's no time for you to see the truth of it, right? The mm. truth of what Aesop. So, like, you might read a story one day and see it in the news the next day in some way or see it in your that life happened, in some way. what, a week and a half, two weeks ago, where mm-hmm. I texted you that story? It's the story of the wolf and the lamb. Oh, right, yeah. And, and like, the, um, the armature, the theme of it is evil men will always find an excuse to do evil. And I, like, took a picture of it and I texted you. I was like, dude, because there was things going on in the world. Yeah. And I was like, this story is so on point. I don't even know what air, like when that would have been for Aesop time-wise, right? Um, but it was funny because it's like that story, it's a one-page story. If anybody wants to read it, I will probably link to it, I'm sure. But it's the wolf and the lamb. And that's the armature. It's like evil men will always find an excuse to do evil. And I took a picture of it. I sent it to you. I was like, read this story, man. <laughs> and it was exactly because it was so pertinent to what we were talking about culturally was happening right Mm -hmm. um but it's like it's it was interesting though because it was already in there to your point you don't get time to see the truth of it because it was in there we could have a conversation and then i can go oh you know what's crazy that reminds me of this i read that you know whatever days before that and then all of a sudden you start connecting the dots and then if you're like jesse here's what you got to do man you got to write a short story around this i'd be like that no problem because i've been sitting in that i could connect it back to what was going on i understood the context better right but when i was reading that story i had no idea that it was going to come back later on to be helpful sure well here's the other thing too is that um if if you are a practitioner of this craft um and maybe this is true of other crafts too um i know it's true of my photography um, that it teaches you how to see the world in a particular way. So if you are practicing this craft and you are ingesting all of these classic stories that have stood the test of time because they had information in them people could use, right? Uh, So they've stood the test of time, sometimes thousands of years. You can also not just learn to be a better storyteller, but you can learn how to use those stories. You can learn how to refer to those stories in your life and use them as they are intended to be used, right? You can use them to help you navigate the world yeah, or to see it more clearly, right? Um, at least through a particular prism. Um, yeah. uh, and I, I think that people dismiss that part of it because if you believe in story, uh, and the power that it has, um, then you have a different, I think, reverence for it. Mm-hmm. When I talk to people who don't, who haven't been practicing very long, it's always about what they want to do. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. I've never seen that. I've never seen this. And it's never, it's too many eyes. It's never about um, 
the service part of it. How are you helping mm -hmm. people telling your story? What are you putting into the world? Um, you know, the, the ego hasn't left yet. And that ego gets in the way. You don't tell good stories when it's about you. Now, here's the funny thing. The way that it, remember, all this stuff you're talking about, I think it's always important to remind people is like you can observe just in nature, right? Yeah. Um, and it's funny because if you sat down with your friend over coffee, right, you're listening to this episode and then you get out of your car or whatever, you get off of work, you go sit down with your friend and they're like, I lost my job, man. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it, blah, blah, blah. Whatever you naturally have in your head that you're going to tell them, whatever story you're naturally going to tell them, it would be, you'd be, it would be to meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. Right. Like even I, I think we talked about how um, with parables, I finally looked at the definition of things and the word parable means to be paired with like the par the story by itself doesn't have the value. It's when you go, whatever, I think the example you used with like, you know, my, my 12 year old, right. Where like, if he's like, I'm on the basketball team and you know, I'm not moving up fast enough. And I go, really? And I take this thing over here called, you know, slow and steady wins the race, the torch yeah. and the hair. And I go, hey, let me tell you a story. I, I connect it to his context. Yeah, you pair it. That's where the value is at. I paired with his situation. And hopefully he goes, okay, well, I'm going to just keep dribbling. And, you know, it's so the value of the story is, is only in as much as it is serving the purpose of the story, which is to help someone else right. in one form or another. Maybe even help yourself, right? Right. But when we talk about classic, like how old stories are, you gave me this. I don't remember what for my birthday or something. Oh, it's, yeah, it's a, that. It just looks like a chunk of sandstone. I have one right over there. I have the same one. Will you tell, for the folks at home, will you tell them what this is and why you got it for me? Yeah. That is a replica uh, of uh, one of the tablets, um, the original tablets for the, um, the ep Epic of Gilgamesh, which is the oldest story that we have. Um, uh, so oldest written down story that we have is the Epic of Gilgamesh. And so that's a replica of one of the tablets, um, mm. piece of the tablet. And that particular tablet, I believe, is the part that has the flood story in it, because the flood story is in Epic of Gilgamesh. So, yeah, uh, I think that's the flood story. So if this is the oldest story we have. What would you say the armature of the Epic of Gilgamesh is for folks that haven't studied it or looked at it? Well, in, in the Epic of Gilgamesh... Um, uh, his, his, uh, best friend, uh, Enkidu, uh, dies. Uh, it's a whole thing about Enkidu. Uh, you read it, whatever, but anyway, he dies. And at first, um, Gilgamesh doesn't want to admit that his friend has died. Um, so he doesn't bury him or anything. And after a while, it's pretty clear he's dead. So, uh, so he buries his friend, but then he starts to wonder about his own death. Well, if he could die, he was really a part of me. If he can die, um, I can die. And he goes on this epic, this journey to find out how not to die. So it's this big adventure where he goes and he's looking for a way not to die. Um, what he finds out at the end of this journey um, is that, um, you know, and if you haven't, uh, you haven't read it, you've had 35,000 years, so I'm going to give away the ending. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah. at the end of it, he, he, um, he learns that you're going to die. There's nothing you can do about it. 
and don't don't focus on that. Just enjoy the small things, the simple things in life. And they mentioned things like uh, a child holding your hand and these sort of simple things. Like, no, enjoy that stuff. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy the small things in life. Um, it's it, you're wasting time trying not to die. That's going to happen anyway. Mm. Um, so enjoy your life. Um, and how does that not speak to people today? Right. Oh yeah. You know, know, people, people quote like Ecclesiastes or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. It's like, Hey, same type of thing, you know, people or, quote or Shakespeare, Shakespeare, Shakespeare gets Shakespeare. quoted a lot. The, the, the thing is, it's just so great. If that's the oldest story, you said 35,000 years. If you go, okay, if that's the oldest story. Well, not 35,000. I said 35,000. 3,500. 3,500. 3,500. I was like. 3,500. No, not 35,000. Sorry. I was like, 3,500 years, okay? Okay, yeah. if that story is as applicable today as it was 3,500 years ago. Yeah. Right? And how many stories, if I were to say that, right? Like enjoy the life while you're a living, right? Right. Hold a child's hand, go for walks, you know, eat, drink, right? right? Like enjoy your time, like with your friends and family. It just goes to show it's like, like going to your original point, right? Like if it's a good story, it will last forever. Here's, here's something. Now, a lot of people, this movie should get rediscovered. We're always talking about it. The movie Awakenings. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So in the movie Awakenings, Robin Williams right, yeah. plays a character who uh, he's a doctor and he, he works at this hospital and he uh, works with these people. Uh, I think they call it the garden. True people. story. It's a true it's, story it's too. It's based on a true story. They call it the garden because the people there are, you know, vegetables. I'll put that in quotes. Mm -hmm. um, and they, 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 what they say is they, all they do is feed and water them. That's all they do. Right. And these people are sort of um, uh, in, in a coma or sort of, they're, they're not quite, there they're kind of just wandering almost zombie like yeah um and this 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 kid this guy who was a kid um leonard yeah um, leonard yeah. leonard who was a kid uh when he got this disease that put him under uh wakes up as a grown man um and last thing he remembers he was a kid but he wakes up in this hospital a grown man and you see robin williams character uh, not living his life. There's a woman who works there who's interested in him, but he doesn't, you know, he's all by himself. He doesn't, he, he's not living his life. And this character, Leonard wakes up and wants nothing more than to live his life, to get his life started again, to, mm -hmm. to you know, at one point he just wants to take a walk around the block and they won't yeah. let him. Like, he wants can't go out. dancing. He wants yeah. to, yep. He wants to live his life. And what he, um, he starts to lose it again. Uh, they give him a drug and it works for a while and then it starts to not work. And he's going to go back into this state. And he basically is giving the lesson to Robin Williams character that you have to live your life. Epic of mm. mesh, right? You have to live your life. Yeah. Um, and the last thing he does, Robin Williams in that movie is ask that woman out who's been interested in the whole movie, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's, he's like, Oh, your life can be taken away in a moment. Um, um, you know, I, I, I haven't, I've talked a little bit about the land of the dead, the dead on the show. Um, but since I have the book coming out eventually, I'm trying not to talk about it too much, the land of the dead, but really what you have is you have a character coming out of the land of the dead and giving the lesson, giving the message, look, I've been dead. <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah. live your life and then going back. Um, yeah. 
it's really, but th there's no difference in the lesson there and the lesson of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Right? And, and that movie, like Penny Marshall doesn't get enough credit. Like what she does in that movie, the choices she makes, like watch the color choices as far as clothing, watch, watch the way that she doesn't move the camera. She gets more out of every camera setup in that movie. I mean, I just, it, the amount of people that haven't seen that movie, like we've talked about this before, right? You're like, You've mentioned the films. You're like, man, I would have loved to have made this film. It's like, dude, Awakenings for me. Like, that yeah. movie is so damn good. It's stupid. Like, mm -hmm. everything is on. Just, just understand this. Watch this movie through the lens of Penny Marshall at the top of her game. All of the decisions are made for a reason, right? She knows exactly what the film is about. So do the actors. Um, so does the right. Just, I think Steven Zalian wrote it, I think. Um, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, you're right. Yeah. yeah 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 and so i i just think that like that's a fantastic example yeah. right of you know fine go study the epic of gilgamesh maybe you'll find a way to contextualize that now right or watch awakenings and go well what's your version of that it's mm -hmm. just understanding that there's a reason why stories last so if you study the stories that last you'll at least have a shot right to get unstuck or to maybe maybe it'll rattle something loose like i always think it's interesting I've been trying to bend this year has really been a year where I'm trying to really understand armature. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the more you study anything, right. You're like, the more you're like, I don't, it's going to take another 60 years. And I feel like I'll know even less, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's funny now when you start looking for armatures, you go into someone's house and there'll be like a quote on the family, the family quote. And I'll be like, okay, that's the family's armature. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, we do this. Well, we'll, we'll ask people, it's like, what's your favorite movie? And then we'll figure out what the favorite movie is like, oh, the armature of that movie is this. And so that must be the survival information you need to always remind yourself of. Mm -hmm. It always blows people's minds where they're like, that is why I love that movie. And <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, you're right. When I really get down, I always watch whatever, Wizard of Oz or whatever the thing is. I told you about my friend in Zootopia and how like whenever he gets really down, he watches that. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's just interesting. Once you see how the, it all works together, yeah. right? And then you go like, oh, you know, people are always sharing quotes online. They're just sharing armatures. Yeah. They're just going, here's an armature, here's an armature, right? Oh, there's yeah. entire books of quotes. Open it up. Guess what every one of those quotes is? Every one of those quotes is an armature, which is a distillation of wisdom. Yeah. Right? It's like all this wisdom in the universe gets crystallized into these little things, um, and we call those armatures. Other people, they just think it's a quote. I mean, if you have, if you have something written on your body, understand that more than likely that's an armature and you should write a movie or a book or a song about that. Because if you care enough about that sentence to put it on your body, yeah. right? It's like, it's like, Oh, you have hold fast tattooed on your knuckles and you're a writer. Have you written a book about that? <laughs> right. Oh, I should, because I, you know, I, the way I learned that was I went through this divorce or, you know, mm -hmm. my dad died or whatever. And you're like, cool. You earned that armature. You earned that survival information the hard way. Yeah. Right. You could probably really do something with that. Yeah. That's the thing that people don't understand is they, they think, I, you know, when I've talked to people about armatures, they often think they have nothing to say. Mm. They often and or they say, well, who am I to tell somebody how to live? Right. And you're not really telling people how to live with an armature, um, but you are giving them information that could be helpful. Um, and if you're writing from a place of truth, uh, your own truth, this information probably does or did help you survive something. 
Um, and, and we will always pass that information on. It's part of us. It's, we'll do it in life all the time. If something yeah. happens to us, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Oh, be careful. That road slip is slippery. You know, that I, I was there one time in the, the black ice and bo- yeah, don't yep. be careful. You know, uh, you will always, uh, pass on that information in life. It's when you sit down and write stories that you, you think you have nothing to say. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I told you the visual for me that was helpful, Brian, was when you're sitting there having lunch with your friend or talking to whoever your grandma on the phone, whatever the situation is, your your partner, and understanding that like every time they give you an armature, it's like they have a bunch of baseball cards that they earned, and they're going, "Here's this one. Some things are more important than money. Here's another one. Right? The evil right. evil men will always find a reason to do evil. Here's another one. And then you're going, "Great. Here, I got one for you." And then yeah. and you're constantly just passing baseball cards back and forth. And then you're going like, what's an expert? Well, experts have more cards than other people do. You yep. know, when you talked about like Sully being able to survive the miracle on the Hudson, he had more baseball cards than anyone else. Collectors, like um, this gets into the Grio stuff we've talked about in the past, right? Like if you think about it, if you're going to collect anything, collect armatures. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you'll be like, man, people will be like, oh, that person's really wise. They always have a story for whatever the situation was. You're, you said your dad was like this. My dad was you like that, Brock yeah. was like that, right? Yeah. People would come to my dad and they said he, he always had a story for them uh, that fit. Um, you know, and I, I didn't grow up with my dad, so I just learned that at his funeral. I mean, I knew him a little bit from the time I was seven, uh, you know, or before, until I was seven. But... Um, but everybody said that at his memorial, that he would always have a story uh, that would help them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what's interesting about that is they said that at his memorial. So what they were saying is this is one of the most important things about this person. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's just funny because people talk about like wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge are different. But mm-hmm. it's funny because we talk about wisdom, but nobody ever says like what that is. Right. 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 Well, it's the it's a collection of survival information. Oh, they're wise, you know. Well, like Odin, oh, Odin, mm-hmm. the Norse god Odin, uh, wanted wisdom, and uh, to get it, he had to give up an eye, which is why he has an eye patch, right? Um, the, so he had to give an eye, and there's what's amazing about that is it's a painful, painful process taking an eye out of him. Um, but wisdom is another kind of sight, yeah. right? So blind seers show up a lot in stories. Um, and so wisdom is another kind of sight, but also it's painful to come by. Yeah. It's painful to come by. Um, and it's smart to be able to take someone else's armature that they're giving you freely instead of having to go through the pain that they had to go through to collect it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, imagine if every time someone told you a story that was helpful, you were like, it's like they gave you a gold coin. You probably go. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to remember that. That was helpful that they did that. I'm going to understand yeah. that. Like I think we talked about this with um, Dave Chappelle, who I don't. I don't think there's a better living stand-up than Chappelle, and how in his Kennedy Center acceptance speech he talked about how his mom explained to him what a griot was, and um, we've talked about griots in the past, and how yeah. he what that would have done for him growing up is he would have known his job was to collect the stories, to right. be the collector of stories. And to go like, I'm, it's great. Like I'm telling you, there's a huge difference when even just in the last year of trying to really think about armatures where like you're standing in line at the supermarket and you see a headline, you're like, that's an armature. Oh, that's a good way of saying that. 
or this or that. I mean, even like when I started the show off, you said that one line. You're like, good stories will always be good stories, right? And I was like, oh, that, that, right? And I wrote that down because I was like, I'm sure there's an episode in there to mm-hmm. talk about that, right? And now all of a sudden it's you're connecting it back 3,500 years to, you know, a movie that was made in whatever the late 80s, right? Right, yeah. Um, early 90s, whatever it was. Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah, because, you know, all this stuff, all this stuff is as, as, as useful now as it's ever been. Right. Right. But I, I guess what I'm trying to help people understand is like that it's really clear, at least when we're talking, is that, yeah, sure, you're teaching people how to tell stories, but like it's applicable in like all of life. Like right. this isn't, you know, it's like where you're going to find this the most is not when you're sitting down behind your typewriter. It's going to be when you're sitting across the table from someone who just found out they have cancer. Right. That's when you're going to want to have the stories in your head. Mm-hmm. Right. Or when yeah. you found out you have cancer, that's when you're going to want to have these stories in your head. Yeah. That's when the rubber meets the road as a storyteller is you can be there at that moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's exactly that's right. Um, and, and you'll see it. Um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see it used. You'll see people do that. You'll see it, you know, like people say with my father, but you'll see it with people all. If you pay attention, you'll see that there's always somebody there with a story um, when somebody has a problem or. Uh, you know, something they're dealing with. Um, and we share those freely most of the time. We'll share those stories freely um, because I think it is, as much as we are destructive and self-destructive and uh, can hurt each other, um, we also do a lot to help each other. We forget that. Mm-hmm. I think we take it for granted. But, but one of the reasons we tell stories to each other is to help each other. Uh, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. Um, we've even done it. We even do it with people we don't necessarily like. Mm-hmm. Right? You might still give them a warning story. Well, if I were you, I wouldn't do that because you know, blah blah blah. But it's a, right, <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. You, you you would still give them a story. I think it's 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 just deep in our DNA to do it. Yeah. Um. You know, you know, what's interesting is like, I mean, would you mind? I know you just told this story to me right before we started filming. Uh-huh. But will you talk about what movie were you watching last night and what connection did you make? Uh, was this uh, I've watched talking about uh, Tale of Two Cities. Oh, right. oh, man. OK, so. <laughs> yes. OK, so uh, I, I've written about it. We can we can um, put a link to the blog post when I used to have uh, my blog. But I wrote about the movie Star Trek 2. Um, because the movie Star Trek 2 is so focused. Like, people go, oh, it's the best movie. And they think it's because of Khan. And, you know, Khan's fine. But you put Khan in a bad movie, then it's a bad movie with Khan in it. Like, it, it's, a, it's a movie that works because it's so focused. And um, it's, it's focused in a lot of ways. So, so uh when that movie came out in 1982, everybody knew um, that this was the one where Spock was going to die. It was a huge thing. It was a, all the news was like, Spock's going to die in this movie. So the first thing you see, actually, is you see, you see Spock die <laughs> uh, in this, what turns out to be a simulator uh, thing, a training thing. And uh, uh, the no-win scenario, the Kobayashi Maru, where they do a thing where you can't win. There's no winning, so you face death. That was, that's the whole idea behind this simulation. Anyway, so uh, 
Kirk comes in, uh, and uh, there's no winning, so you have to face death. You have to what face does that death. Remind you of? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? right. So there's no winning, and so anyway, uh, um, they they said something. The crew said something about uh, Kirk being back on the bridge. He's been promoted from captain now to admiral, and uh, you know they say, oh, you should, you know, you're basically they say you should be in space doing your job and he's like oh that's for the young i'm paraphrasing but he says that's for the young and people are like what does that mean well it turns out it's his birthday and uh he gets a gift from spock they're walking around and he gets a gift from spock and uh he opens the book and he says uh oh uh it was the best of times it was the worst of times and he says uh uh Message Spock. He's like, you know, and it's, and I, he might even say that it's Tale of Two Cities, but anyway, it's from Tale of Two Cities, and he reads it. He's Message Spock, and he goes, none, none that I'm conscious of, you know, except happy birthday. Well, it turns out uh, Kirk is very upset that it's his birthday. He's upset that he's getting older and that he's not young and, um, and all of that. And, and, um, and so people are trying to cheer him up, and it's not working. Anyway, he goes through this whole, the whole story. Um, like he gets some glasses and at one point he has to put the glasses on and that you can tell that that's kind of weird for him. And, you know, he's just this whole idea of getting older. Um, and, uh, the whole idea the, the throughout the piece, there's this idea of the, the no win scenario and how, um, Kirk was the only person who, who, uh, passed the test, uh, because you're not supposed to be able to pass, pass the test, but he, he reprogrammed the test. So it was possible to win, which is how he went. He cheated. And so it comes up that he's never faced death. He cheated death, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah he cheated. And so uh, it's like, so you've never faced it. And he says, oh, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in the no-win scenario. Like, there's always an option kind of thing. So anyway, uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the movie, uh, you know, Spock, uh, Spock sacrifices himself for the rest of the crew because they have this idea throughout the whole piece that the need – of the of the many out need way the need of the one and so spock uh uh sacrifices himself to save the crew uh and so um when kirk is looking at this where spock's body is on the genesis planet if you don't know the movie it doesn't matter it's looking out into space where the body is and uh he says uh he says what this guy says at the end of Tale of Two Cities, which is uh, uh, as this guy's being uh, this guy in Tale of Two Cities has taken the place of someone who was supposed to be executed by a guillotine, and he's taken this guy's place um, because uh, he's in love with this guy's wife, and he said he would do anything for her, um, and so what he does for her is he replaces her husband's, you know. Uh, he takes her husband's place so that he's executed instead of the husband. He takes the other guy's death. Yes, takes the other guy's death. And he says his last line in that piece is, um, um, I wish I could rem- I should remember it, but it's, um, it is a far greater thing, a far, far better thing that I, I do now than I've ever done before. Um, a far better resting, resting place to which I go, something like that. I, I, I'm, I'm butchering it, but you know what I mean. Anyway, but... Kirk says that also at the end of Star Trek Two, and uh, somebody says, "What's that?" And he goes, "Oh, it's just something Spock was trying to tell me on my birthday." And uh, it's like, "Oh, Spock sacrificed himself too because this is his friend. He loves his friend. He sacrificed for him. He faced death. 
Kirk didn't. Uh-huh. And and the and the woman who he's with there says, uh, "How do you feel?" At the end of the movie, and he says, "I feel young." And it's like, forget it. Yeah, it was Myers, man. It's so. So focused. you already knew it was a good movie. Yes. But then once you understood that I hadn't seen Tale of Two Cities for a long time. Level to it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I just saw that the, the best of times, the worst of times thing. I just saw that, oh, he could look at this anyway, right? He's looking at the worst, but he could be looking at the best. That's also there. But also yeah. to take it further and add this, that element to it, the self-sacrifice element to it, um, and to take an old story, Tale of Two Cities. There's also uh, some Moby Dick in there because Khan's very uh-huh. much like Ahab, right? To take these old stories and to be able to use them uh, in something, a lot of people would dismiss that stuff and not think about it. Like, well, that's Moby Dick. This is Star Trek, right? But, um, you know, uh, Khan uses lines from Moby Dick all over the place, like actual quotes, because he reads a lot. That's part of the character. Yeah. So he uses actual but quotes. You've told that story twice, and I got in goosebumps both times you told that story, because I see yeah. both those scenes, scenes happening. And when you said that, I was like, because I think I saw Taylor Street Cities in like high school. Mm-hmm. And when you said that, I was like, oh, Spock did beat death. He right. won. There's right. no winning. It's like he won. He won because he spent his life saving his friends. Right. And it was just like, get out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> when it's done at that level. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't think it's like, this is the stuff we talk about this all the time. It's like, I hope people know what they're looking at. Yeah. Like, that precision in that movie, right? And yeah. pulling it all together so that it lands that way. Mm-hmm. I feel young. Get out of here with that. I know. Like, you know what I mean? It's so dialed. It's beautiful. It's like listening to music. It is. You know, like a beautiful, like, like Mozart or something where when they bring it around and it lands, you just go, wow, this yeah. guy was good at this job. And people don't understand. That's why I say they like, they'll look at Star Trek two and they'll, they'll say it's con. So they put con cons in another movie. They put them in another movie. Oh, what that one's not as good. You know, like it's not con cons, not the secret. You know, the yeah. secret is that it it has a story that is cohesive, um, that makes sense and has something to say. Yeah. It isn't just nutty characters. It isn't just funny scenes. It isn't just, it, he decided, Nicholas Meyer and the, and the other, uh, he did rewrite it. He did, I don't even know if he's credited as a writer, but he did rewrite it. Um, I think maybe Harv Bennett's credited as the screenwriter, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, um, uh, I, all that literary stuff. I mean, Nicholas Meyer's pretty literary. He's a pretty literary guy. Like he's written a couple of Star- Sherlock Holmes novels and stuff. Like <laughs> he's, yeah. he's pretty like, he's, you know, he knows stuff. So, uh, I imagine <laughs> that's all. It's a lot of that's him. Um, but going back to what you said at the beginning, like the whole, you know, stories that work, work forever. Yeah. Right. Like, because he knew a tale of two cities. I mean, what's a better Star Trek movie? Yeah, see, everybody knows that's the one, right? Everybody Every, goes, well... Yeah, that's it. Why? Yeah. Because you go, like, why did that work in A Tale of Two Cities? Why is that such a beautiful thing for a guy to do? To give up his life so that this guy and this and this gal can be happy. And then yeah. you go, oh, man, I bet nobody's ever told that story before. Hello, Casablanca. Hello, <laughs> right, like, you know what I'm right. it's, yeah. like, yeah. it's like, it doesn't matter. It's just understanding, like, collect them. Collect mm-hmm. like when you're reading Tell of Two Cities, go like, what is like? Oh my God, why did that work? Right. Like tear the walls open. Yeah. You know, like why did that work? Why did I feel this way? Right. And mm-hmm. then you go like, oh, 
well, Star Trek Two. Why does that work? Yeah. Why does Casablanca work? Like, why did you know? It's just again. It's just like okay, if that's thirty five hundred years old, and that's that's echoed in stories now. I'm sure that would if we if we pulled up whatever Netflix and HBO or whatever, we could find somebody today. Right? Oh yeah. It's like, but if once you understand why Gilgamesh worked. Right, the logic moving forward makes so much sense, and then your job is just to collect all the best stories you can to be a griot, just like Chappelle. Right, right. Collect the stories because that guy you said he's literary, right? Yeah. Okay, well that's why he could go. I'm going to take this from Moby Dick, and I'm going to take this from A Tale of Two Cities. Yeah. Right, and I'm going to make something that that you know stands out. And yeah. Lasts. You know, and yeah, and he's not just taking things. A lot of times people think, well, I'll just take from these great things. Like he, it right. all works like arbitrarily. In the piece. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, you know, it's not a collage, right? Yeah, right. right. Um, it, it's all part of a piece. You know, um, he's just using the tools, I think, of other storytellers in a way. Hmm. Um, yeah, you're stealing. You're straight up stealing, you know. Um, and he tells you that. Right. Yeah, he's just not lying to you about, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, it's like, this is a tale of two cities. I'm going to tell that story, you know. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no, he's he, he doesn't hide it, you know, uh, the Moby Dick stuff. I don't think, they, I don't know if they mention it so specifically. Um, I don't think they say Moby Dick, but yeah, but yeah. anyway. Um, That's beautiful, too, though. How many people walked out of that theater? They were getting older, and they're like, getting older is a blessing. Like, I, you know what I mean? How many people were set straight by that film, right? I bet, I bet you more than they even know. Like, yeah. Right? Because that's one of the ways stories work, right? They work on your subconscious. And because they work on your subconscious, you think that the reason the movie's good is because Calm's in it, right? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're not... You don't understand all of the decisions. And again, if you read the, the blog post, you'll see all the things. Um, it's like with Castaway, the opening of Castaway, that first act is mm-hmm. so precise. Um, and that's another, actually, actually, that's another really good example, Castaway, of what we're mm-hmm. talking about. Because Castaway, uh, the first thing, when you first see Tom Hanks, um, you see a package getting mailed and you follow the package. But, but when you first see Tom Hanks, he's giving a talk. He's in Russia. He's in Moscow. And he works for FedEx. And he's giving a talk to these FedEx employees. And his whole talk is about time. His whole talk is about um, never committing the sin of turning your back on time. Um, and that time mm-hmm. is evil taskmaster and, de- de- master and doesn't care if you're young or old or blah, blah, blah. Like he has this whole thing about time. In the first act, you see how he's a character who isn't making time for his life. He fits his life in between things, you know, but his job seems to be more important than his life um, with his with his girlfriend. Um, you know, but if you watch that first act uh, before the plane crash, um, you'll see and actually up through the plane crash. I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but but um, and just after it. But when you watch that first act and you see all the references to time and to fitting things in and to, to stealing moments and to it's amazing uh there's a scene um 
there's a scene at a Christmas uh, like dinner, and and uh, or like a yeah, there's a dinner, family dinner, and uh, they're at this dinner, and very quickly somebody says, uh, "So when are you going to make an honest woman out of of Kelly?" I think Kelly's the his girlfriend's name, and uh, uh, Chuck's his name. Chuck, when are you going to make an honest woman? He goes, "Oh, how long was that?" And they kind of like, "Oh, that uh-huh. that didn't take long. It's always it always comes up." You know, and uh, and then he has this great story about uh, how she was married once before to some other guy. And this guy, yeah. uh, you know, uh, wore a pager, essentially. And she's never been able to bring herself to marry another guy who wears a pager. Anyway, shortly after that, uh, it's great visual storytelling. They have, there's a silent conversation that happens shortly after that, which is um, Tom Hanks, Chuck's pager goes off and he looks at it. And he looks at her and they both know that means he has to go. You can tell she's like, huh? Okay. And then, they, and then they have a little meeting cause he's got to go now. He's got to work. Um, they have a little meeting where they're comparing calendars and they're trying to figure out when he can be back. And she, he has to see her, um, you know, um, uh, I, anyway, he has to see, she's anyway, she's got something he has to be added. So anyway, so they're trying to fit something. Okay. I'll be here this day. I'll be here. Um, Anyway, she's like, "What about Christmas? They haven't exchanged gifts." So it, they're it, doing all this in the in the jeep, right? No, no, car. later. No, when they when they, when they exchange gifts, they do it in the jeep. Mm. So he's like, he's like, "Well, we'll have to do it in the car." She goes, "What about gifts? We'll have to do it in the car." So oh, in the right. car, yeah, yeah. in yeah. the car, um, there's a great scene where uh, uh, he gives her some hand towels, and uh, she doesn't think it's a very. She's very polite. But, you know, she's not all that exciting. That's not your hard to shop for, blah, blah, blah. You know, and she gives him a watch. She gives him a watch. This is all about time and all about not making time. Oh, by the way, sorry. Uh, there's something else that happens in the first act. In the first act, what you see um, is um, there's a scene on a, on a plane with uh, uh, a friend of his who also works for FedEx. And a pilot is talking to the friend and says, so have you heard about your wife? And it turns out this guy's wife has cancer. And, um, and Tom Hanks says to this guy a little later on, Hey, you know, um, there's a guy that we both know and his wife had cancer and they saw such and such a doctor. And, uh, you know, when I get back, I'll get you get that guy's number and we'll get this thing fixed. That that's important later. It doesn't. So anyway, that's what that's what they do. Anyway, so later at the airport, he gets this watch. This watch has uh, Kelly's picture in it. So it's an old-fashioned watch that opens up, and there's her picture in there. So she's linked to time visually. Time and Kelly are linked, and in fact, he says, "I'll always keep this on Memphis time because they live in Memphis." He said, I'll keep this on Memphis time because uh, he said, it's Kelly time. It's Kelly time. So he's leaving or pretends he's going to leave. And then he, he says, oh, wait, I forgot something. And he gives her a little box, which you presume is an engagement ring. And uh, so, uh, and then he, they, he, he's going to propose later, but he's giving her the ring now, essentially. And so, he says, I'll be right back out. You know, we'll talk when I get back. And then that there's a plane crash. So he doesn't come back. Um, so that's an example of the guy not making time for his life. And essentially his life has ended, 
right? When the plane goes down, he's trapped on this island. Uh, but one of the first things you find where you see is that uh, he land when he when he washes up on the beach and wakes up in the morning, he uh, he pulls out his pager, which <laughs> is soaked, you know, and he takes his watch out and he taps it, and you see that it stopped. So time, Kelly time has stopped. It's really, really beautiful. Kelly time has stopped. Yeah. Um, so that first act is so amazing. And so what happens is, though. Uh, precise, at, man. It's really no precise. No wasted anything. No. It's, um, it's unbelievable, right? He's essentially dead. He's in the, again, the land of the dead. We, you know, so that's where he is. Um, he didn't make the time for what was important to him. What was important in his life was Kelly. He didn't make time for Kelly. Um, or for other things. So what happens is uh, eventually he escapes the island and he's picked up. And this friend we saw in the beginning, it's been a couple of years that he's been on this island. Yeah. And um, he, uh, his friend picks him up at some point and he's, he's flying back with his friend who we know from the first act. And he's asked about the wife and he goes, well, she died, you know, a couple of years ago. And Tom Hanks, his character says, I should have been there. What's great about that line is, of course, he couldn't have been there. He was on an island, right? He, but, but really, I think what he's saying is, I didn't make time for the important things. I didn't make time. I should have gotten that number right then and there. I could have, I could have been there in some way. I wasn't there. I should have been there meant I didn't take time for my life. Um, his, his girlfriend is now married. You know, she's in a relationship. She has kids and stuff. And so he doesn't have that anymore. Um, and by the end, you see that he's going to make different choices about his life, that he's going to, um, he's going to take time for his life. Uh, he's going to enjoy his life more than his work, probably. Um, and what's great about that is that it's the same as the Epic of Gilgamesh. Yep. It's the same as Awakening, right? Um, that, uh, that your life can is going to end at some point. And what did you do with your time? What did you do with your time? What's important? Some big things or small things? Mm -hmm. Small things end up being the most important. I always. Small things are always the most important. It's a, it's a strange thing. And people say that when they're older and you, when you're younger, you think the big things are important, but it's always the teeny things. Um, I said that at my brother's memorial, um, at his eulogy, I talked about all the small moments that we remembered. That the big moments are whatever, and you think those are the ones you're going to remember. But it's always the smallest things. Um, that's just the way life works. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is like the job, though, right? Yeah. Like I, again, I just I hope people start to see we're not just talking about movies. Right. Like, it's like. It's like, man, the gift. Who who wrote uh, Castaway? Uh, oh, I can't think of his name. He also wrote. Uh, he also wrote uh, Apollo thirteen. Oh, okay. And I gotcha. can't think of his name. Oh, I can. I can feel that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm just saying, like, he did his job. He did his like, job. That's what's cool about it, right? Yeah. Is it's like people watched that movie and then walked out of that movie and like looked at the their I don't know partner or whatever and they're like what are we doing like let's you know what i mean it's like like it got people unstuck for sure it got people unstuck 
Yeah. Right. You don't walk into that movie and then go home and like flick on the TV. You go home and you play with your kids and you, right. you know, you go for a walk and you, right. It's like, it's, man, that's beautiful. Like that's magic. And that's why somebody wrote that down in Sanskrit. Right. Right. Exactly. For the same reason. Like don't <laughs> right. miss it. Right. It's here. It's still yeah. here. We don't know how long it'll be. Don't miss it. I think yeah. that we're seeing that in COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it was funny. Cause like, um, Heather is one of our, our business partners here. It was like, she'd always say like, oh man, I thought at the beginning of COVID, she's like, I thought you were going to be happy because I always like just being in my office with my books and, you know, yeah. stuff. And, and it's like, and I was like, yeah, for about a week. And then I'm like, where, where is everybody? What? You know what I mean? You start <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, oh man, I haven't seen, you know, we'd always go down to like the coffee shop on the corner. It's like, I wonder what they're up to. And like, you know, it's a, it's a good reminder of like all those little things are the, are, that's the whole game. That is the you whole know? game. I mean, you're talking about kids. I'm thinking about my daughter's hands. You know, she just turned six, and, like, it's not as fluffy as it used to be. You know, yeah. these little kids, when they're, you know, they get these chubby kind of fluffy hands, you, like, push, <laughs> you know, you hold them, and they kind of squish, and then you uh-huh. can see her hands changing. And you're going, like, wow, man, there's a story there that would be helpful. Like, there's that's, that's that it's how do, what do you do better? What's a better use of my time than going on a walk with my daughter? There isn't any. What it, right. Like, they're just, right? right. And, and it's, like, what a cool thing that, whether it's it's Star Trek Two, or the Epic of Gilgamesh, or Awakenings, or you know what I mean, or, or Castaway, Cast Away. Yeah. it's like those stories will always last, you know, yeah. because they're true, right? Yeah, you know, and they resonate because they're true, right? People yeah. feel there's something special about them. They don't know what it is, right? But it's that it's it's a real it's a real truth, um, and in fact, it's so true. That it's the oldest story we have, right? It yeah. Somebody it mattered so much that it lasted thirty five hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You Amazing. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's how true it is, and it's yeah. still, it's still true. We're, we're again, people are the same. Um, yep. It's an illusion that we're different. I don't know. You know. There's something about. It's an illusion we, that we're different. Help me understand what you mean by that. Well, that we we read a story in the Bible or someplace where there's a leper colony, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. And we go, or there's lepers, untouchables, and we go, well, that's not. That's ancient. That's not us, right? We we think we're not them. Yeah. Right. Um, or. Uh, a greedy king, right? In some yeah. fairy tale, right? You don't think we have greedy kings? Yeah. Right? Um, or evil kings? Yep. Um, all those things are still true. They don't change with the times. There's there's a podcast I was telling you this, like, uh, you know, called Noble Blood that I've been just going through because history has always been like my favorite subject, right? And it's it's amazing when you listen. You're like history. The best thing about history is you're like, got it, got it. It's all the same stuff. Right. It's all the same stuff. It's always going to be greed. It's always going to be, you know, like how do I make myself a little bit better than this person, you know? Um, but it's it's just interesting to hear those stories, you know, because you're just like, wow, we're still running around the same same problems, you know. And that's why it's silly to dismiss the stories from the past. Yeah. Um, you right. Know, well, like, you know, one of my favorite movies, uh, 12 Angry Men. 
you know, where one of the the jury the jury's all ready to convict this guy, and there's one guy who's holding out, played by Henry Fonda. And Henry Fonda's character is like, I think we need to think about this. If somebody's this is a death penalty case, so if we just we just can't throw his life away. We have to take this seriously. And it's a really great movie and a really great story, really unbelievably well-written script. So simple, the script. So simple, I don't mean yeah, <laughs> easy yeah. to do. I mean, just... The opposite of yeah, that. Yeah, the opposite of that. But what, I, what I, I think I knew once, but maybe didn't, it didn't stick, but have recently found out again, is that Henry Fonda, the actor, witnessed a lynching when he was young. Went, witnessed a mm. black man being lynched. And he said it was the most horrific thing he'd ever seen. When he was older, he said that it was the most horrific thing he'd ever seen. But because he saw that, a lot, there's a big social justice thing in a lot of his stuff. So when he does 12 Angry Men, he means it. Um, he did another movie called The Oxbow Incident where there's a lynching. And his character is saying, we can't just lynch this guy. He needs a trial. He's, you can't just lynch him. And his character is fighting for that. Um, but it's because it came from a real place for him. It wasn't, he wasn't just making movies. He thought he had to make them about something. He thought that when he had an opportunity, he had to make them about something. Um, what happens when we take the law into our own hands? Or what happens when we don't take the law seriously? What happens... Um, when we aren't responsible citizens, um, that matter to him. And so that's yeah, in his What work. happens when we make ourselves judge, jury, and executioner? Yeah. Right. Right. Because I, did, I think a lot of people look at those old movies or stories and they go, boy, we've come a long ways. And it's like, we lynch people every day in America. <laughs> right. Right. If you get shot in the back seven times. Yeah. What do you call that? Yeah. In front of your children? Yeah. What do you call that? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's, it's a long, just, long history of yeah. it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. So, you know, but... Um, but, but, you know, be most help, you know what would be helpful right now? A new 12 Angry Men. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, there's got to be... Because I think that that movie did its job. Right, I think hey, so, too. Hey, it's still here. Right, about yeah. Well done in every possible way. Like, I don't know how you would improve on 12 Angry Men, but maybe there's a new way to, right, to tell that story. Um, to tell that yeah. story. Because yeah. the data doesn't, the, clearly the data doesn't work. Right. Like, the data does not work. There's yeah. all the data in the world. Right. Data is, is a poor storyteller. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't engage people. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you, can, you can use data to help tell a story. Uh, but it, it always helps if you can tell one story. You know, that's the one of the things in Ace in the Hole. In that movie, Ace in the Hole, the um, Billy Wilder movie, where there's a guy trapped in a cave, and um, and uh, the character, the reporter who's reporting on this, who who kind of keeps the character stuck in the cave, talks about how it's better to have it happen to one person than several people that um, he says, you know, uh, basically he argues, he says, he's saying to a young apprentice, basically, if it was too many people, you can't identify with it. And um, 
He says, like, take the Chinese famine. I guess at the time there was a Chinese famine. This is 1950. He goes, like, you know, say somebody's starving, like a million people, like in China or whatever, that, you know, all these people are starving. There's this famine. He says, you read it, but it, you don't identify with it. He goes, just one person, one person. He goes, then you identify. That's human interest. Then you identify. Um, and I think that that's really a lesson in storytelling and, and screenwriting that, that Billy Wilder is telling us that um that it's the one person that's why uh don't get me started on terry gilliam and how much he hates schindler's list because uh, i could go on and on about it because it's it's weird his perspective on it um and i have to say i think that kubrick's perspective on it was weird too because what they keep saying what they, their argument is that it's a terrible movie about the holocaust because it's a triumphant movie about the holocaust and the holocaust is about the failure of humanity. But that, that dismiss that. That's if the, if you're telling a story about the Holocaust, which is not a character, right? So you have characters you can tell stories about, and those stories can have any kind. So there can be a whole like Anne Frank or like Anne Frank. Right. Yeah. There's, there's just on the Jewish side, Forgetting homosexuals, forgetting uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, forgetting people who with disabilities, all these people. Yeah. I think there's six million Jewish people and I think five million other people. Um, something like that. I may have my numbers wrong, but something like that. But if you just take the six million Jewish people, there's six million stories to tell. Mm-hmm. Right. Who is not- it? You sent me a video clip. Um, who was it that was saying... Um, he was addressing that that line from Kubrick about uh, Schindler's List. Oh yeah, forget who we we'll find it. We can put it. We can we we can yeah. link to it. Um, um, I I was, was looking Terry for George. It was Terry George. Yeah, it's really great his mm-hmm. response. But I, I just yeah. think that it's one story, right? Tell another story. It's not a story about the Holocaust. It's a story about Schindler. It's a sh- story yeah. about Oscar Schindler, right? Um, and I think it's a unbelievably valuable thing to say that even in the worst of times, you can maintain your humanity. You can do good even in the worst of times. I don't think that's a bad thing to say. Mm-hmm. And I think it's weird not to be able to see that. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like, I think there's something not quite right if that's not clicking for you. Uh, yeah. the, the best response would be to make a, another movie. Not to criticize that one. Make another one. Right? Mm-hmm. Where you yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yes, you can be a good person under the worst circumstances. I think that's a valuable thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. But if you think that it's about a bigger thing, right? Well, that doesn't make a very good story. A story about the Holocaust isn't a very good story. A story about mm-hmm. Anne Frank is a good story. A story about Oscar Schindler is a good story. You yeah. know? Um, you know, um, yeah, even um, if you people don't know it like they used to and they did a remake that was not very good of Roots. But Roots, even though it covers several generations, if you know the story, right, it covers a guy uh, getting captured in Africa and becoming a slave in America. Um, first the colonies and then the United States. But I think he's in the I think it starts in the 
in colonial America, but it doesn't matter. This character, Kunta Kinte, who's stolen from Africa, uh, won't let the story of his village, of his family, die. And he passes it on from one generation to the next. And you follow these generations in the story. And they always go back to Kunta Kinte. So everybody knows this story, and then they add their own to it, right? So every generation goes. And then Kunta, you know, uh, his daughter was Kizzy. And Kizzy's daughter was Chicken George, and Chicken George's uh, son was, you know, Tom. And right, everybody added their thing. And Alex Haley knew his story all the way up to when he was born uh, in the 20th century from Kunta Kinte. What's interesting about that is that it's always still Kunta Kinte's story. Hmm. It's always still his story, even even if other pe- even when he dies and other people are telling it, it always comes back to him. And in fact, in the sequel to that miniseries, um, it it follows Alex Haley's journey writing the book and you know and all of that, um, and then going back to the village in Africa where Kunta Kinte was from, um, and coming all the way back home because all Kunta wanted to do was go home. And there is a kind of closure that happens when Alex Haley, the modern guy, goes back to that village and is like, oh, Kunta's back home now. It's just, it's a really, it's really, it's a beautiful, it's beautifully done in that way. Like, it's still Kunta's story, even though it has all these other people in it. Um, having one character to focus on makes your story have so much more resonance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean you can't have an ensemble piece. It doesn't mean any of that. But it, but there's usually one character that really is the focus. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and we see when, that all the time when people die. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, where there's a lot of people and then one, whatever, a celebrity or someone dies and you're like, man, we really didn't appreciate that person. Right? Right. right. Like, it's so much easier for us to connect with one person at a time. Right. Yeah. I mean, you talked about this before, like even with the three little pigs where you're like, there's only one character, main character, and that's the third pig. The other right. ones are just there to give contrast. Right. Be like right. the third pig. Right. right. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Be so like it, the third pig. It, yeah. I just thought that was the best. When you said that, I was like, oh, OK, that makes sense. Well, you know, you know that that picture of that that guy at the at the Nazi rally yeah, when everybody's yeah. Zig Highland. Yeah, we know his name. Yeah, you know I know. Name, yeah. yeah. And he's not, I forget his name now. He's got his, he's got his arms crossed. He's got his arms crossed, right? And yeah. um, um, it's become kind of famous. I mean, he had kind of a, it didn't work out for that guy, unfortunately, because he was that guy. He fell in love with a Jewish girl and he got her pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, they killed her and yeah. sent him off to the front lines. Yeah. But as soon as that happened, he's like, this is bullshit. Yeah. This is bullshit. And- and when you yeah. look at the picture, everybody knows the picture's about him, not about everybody else. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You see the picture, you go, well, this is about him. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's the only person it could be about is this person, is this one person. Okay, how about this? You know, we never talk about new movies. You and I have been geeking out on Jojo Rabbit lately, right? Yeah, we have. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't seen it, and it finally just popped up, and I, you know, I'm on, like, on my phone or wherever it's playing. About 10 minutes later, I'm like, hold on a second. I like put my phone down. Uh-huh. I start watching this is like what's going on yeah. like this is some this is some real shit like this person knows what they're doing yeah and I think I started texting you like have you seen this you're like oh it's great and I'm like uh hold on a second like again going back to you know well, I told you to watch it I'm like you should watch this you should watch this oh right? I, I hadn't I hadn't seen it yet yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, he does some work in there with a pair of shoes. And I haven't seen shoes used like that since Strangers on the Train. As yeah. far as that charging an object. Yeah. Um, there's some work in that film. But again, what's the mom say in the film? There's always hope. Yeah. Right? Yep. And mom is like the embodiment of hope. Yep. Right? She is. And, and at the end of the film, what, do we, what does she prove? What does the mom prove? You know? Yeah. And you can go like, you could go like, oh, there's a hopeful film about the Holocaust. Right. Right. right? Um, where the main character is a Nazi. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but you go like the work. I, I, I mean, that's one of those movies where I'm like, I hope people know what they're looking at. The work that's in that film is next level. Like, like, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I like that movie. It's like, but if you really watch it and understand the decisions that are happening um, it, and how yeah. hard it is to make decisions like that and, and do, and to, and to set everything up, his match shots, like the first time you see the pair of shoes. And then when you see him again, like if you, yeah. when you watch the way that he sets that thing up, get out of here, man. I haven't I seen a filmmaker do something like that in a long time. It's been a long time. It's just, it's so well crafted. It's yeah. really well crafted. And, and I, I think that, uh, you know, and I don't like this. I always feel like I'm defending my position, you know, with like the new movie thing. Um, like you don't like anything past 1984, which is not true. I always say it's not true. Nobody ever hears that part of it. There just was a decrease in how often good movies came out. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, we mentioned Star Trek two, that was 1982 and 1982 is also the year of Gandhi. Also the year of Tootsie. Also the year I think of the verdict, you know, I yeah. think the verdict is 82, but yeah. Um, there's a there's a ton of stuff that ET right yeah a ton of yeah, things that came out ET right yeah 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 right so a ton of things came out that year um, and that was the last year although think about how different all those films are yeah yeah right? like think about how different all that so it's like almost damn near every weekend you go to the theater and you're like am I going to see Tootsie or am I going to see ET am I going to see the verdict it's just there was a, a lot of people working that really knew what they were doing. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and, but there was, there start, around 1984, there started to be this kind of like, hey, that wasn't as good. And hey, that wasn't, but it, it doesn't mean that movies don't, like a Shawshank doesn't come out every now and then. I don't, I don't. Yeah. But um, there was a time, Shawshank is great. There was a time when Shawshank yeah. would have been one of the good movies that came out. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it might even be the best movie. But, you know, um, like when you look at the 70s, like, you know, Paper Moon, I just watched again, one of my favorite movies. Uh, Norma Ray is just a, a movie mm -hmm. that I just... Um, yeah, assigned. Norma Ray, there's some serious stuff in that movie. Yeah, and I just assigned some people to watch that. That's from the 70s. And what's if interesting you want to is... you understand how to use sound design in a movie... Oh, forget it, yeah. Norma Ray, Norma Ray. man, next level. Like, you had me watch it, and I'm like... I think I was texting, I was like... Dude, the way they use sound in this movie <laughs> I know, I know. is so next level. No, it's really, really good. But, you know, the thing is, those two movies that I mentioned um, almost get forgotten because the 70s was such an amazing decade that it's like, oh, well, yeah, but now we can talk about the Godfather movies or we can talk right. about, like, there were so many things that came out that were good that really great movies are almost lost. Like, you know... 
Norma Ray finds it, it comes to the surface every now and then, it, you know, but it's one of my favorite all-time movies. And Paper Moon's a movie that when people finally see it, they go, where's this movie been all my well, life? Well, Awakenings. We were talking about Awakenings. People Awakenings. haven't seen Awakenings. Yeah. 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 And but, it's, it's Robin Williams and Robert De Niro. I know. Directed by Penny Marshall. And people are like, I haven't seen that. It's like, you should. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It's amazing that people haven't seen it. But, but yeah, every now and then something great comes along, the Seat Biscuit or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not as frequent. That's all I'm yeah. saying. And, it, it, there's, and it's just a level of craft. So oh. it's, it's the difference between, you know what it is? It's. It's the difference between Star Trek Two and and making everything fit together, and uh, giving a random book to Kirk on his birthday. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, I got him the Ugly Duckling, and you're like, yeah. okay, or, or yeah. you know, whatever. That yeah. it's um, that's the kind of mistake I see now. But unless you know what you're looking for, you don't see it. So you're what? You got a book. It's a birthday. It's a birthday gift. It's like, yeah, but it could have mattered. Yeah. Right? Uh, or you get, you get a watch, right? You get a watch with, with Kelly's picture in it. That's very specific. Um, yeah. Like uh, in E.T., you know, one of the places I learned this focus was in E.T. Because when the movie came out, I, I bought the script, the screenplay, and I read it. I don't know how many times I read that script. I studied it like my life depended on like how do you do this i have to find the secret you know and there's a scene in et where where elliot and et are in the closet in a closet and they're watching uh the mother read a story to gertie and the story they're reading is peter pan (laughs) and in peter pan tinkerbell has died right and so it's like if you believe you know believe she can come back to life, you know, clap your hands, clap your hands if you believe. And, and Gertie's like, I believe, I believe. And she's clapping, you know, but, but that's what happens in E.T., right? He, Tinkerbell is always represented by a light. I, get, I know. It's like, get out of here with that stuff. You know? And so when his light goes out, E.T. is oh. gone, but he comes back, right? So yeah. it could be, she could be reading anything. Why that book? It's not random, right? That kind of. Oh, even be good. Yes, I know. Yeah. Even be good is amazing get out of here yeah yeah so right so that that kind of being very specific like that um is what i see less of so it's like oh they're just watching some randy random tv show instead of sesame street yeah right right yeah. or whatever right it's like that's the kind okay, of okay explain be good just for the people that don't hadn't connected those okay so n-e-t so um uh, in, in the fulcrum, in the middle of a, of a piece, there's often a big shift. And, and in E.T., it starts right around the time he starts talking. So up until now, he hasn't talked. So, excuse me, so Gertie um, is uh, watching Sesame Street, and uh, E.T. is around. And there's a Sesame Street, a little cartoon, um, and the letter for the day is B. So B is for basket and B is for this and B is for ball and whatever that's on that cartoon is on. And E.T. who hasn't spoken the whole time <laughs> puts his head up and says, B, right? <laughs> and she said, she says, you said B, good. And he said, B, good, right? 
get out of here. Right. Yeah. So, so that comes up a couple of times where she tells that she says, be good to him. But I'm never sure if he understands what be good means, except. Yeah. Right. And at the uh, end, when he says goodbye to Gertie, what he says is be good. It's stupid. It's crazy. I mean, it's like, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know how good you have to be at your job <laughs> to write that? I know. I mean, it's like when you start to make the connections on this stuff where you go, oh, my God. These people were so good at their jobs. Yeah. Like, she slayed it. Yeah, she did. Right? Yeah. And so that's the thing. When I'm saying, oh, things aren't as good, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? I'm talking about doing that or not doing that. I'm talking about giving a random gift to Chuck in Castaway or reading a random book or having scenes that don't matter or having... Uh, not having the in the Tale of Two Cities sort of parallel the story. You know, I'm talking about that. Like, I see those kinds of missteps all the time, and I go, well, that's not that good. And people are like, well, I enjoyed it. I'm like, yeah, but I see all the missteps. It's the same way. I'm not a good speller. But if you – somebody who is, they see enough misspellings, and they can't read the thing anymore. It's distracting uh -huh. to them. Yeah. And, uh -huh. and, right? And that's kind of what it feels yeah, like. That's a great way of saying that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, well, there's just a bunch of misspellings. I can't, like, they're not, they don't know how to spell. Well, I liked it. Yeah. They don't know how to spell. Right? That's, that's yeah. what it feels like. Um, I, I told you. I think I, I, I was depressed last night because I, I finally finished Columbo. Like, oh, you watched Columbo. all the Columbos. Yeah. Right. And, like, I would come in and I'd be like, Brian, oh, my God. <laughs> There's so much Columbo's next level. Like there is no better TV show on TV right now than Columbo. There just isn't. That's and if true. you Columbo's don't know what I'm great. talking about, you don't know. You don't, you've never watched Columbo. <laughs> like, if you understand how brilliant it, his character is. Yeah. It's and amazing. How to always pair him up with the people that think they're the smartest or the richest. There's some shit in that show. <laughs> there if is you're talking about precision. Yeah. Watch for the very last thing that always he always ends an episode. Watch for the very last thing that always happens. He always brings it back. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievably good, yeah, right? Spielberg directed an episode of Columbo. If you want to start, start with his episode. He right? directed the first, the first like, one, you know the first, the first of the series because it was yeah, a movie. Series, yeah, there was a movies and yeah. and there was a different actor at one point and stuff. But like, you know, before that, right? Yeah. Like he appeared in some other thing. Um, but Peter Falk is Columbo. Right. Um, but it's amazing. But if it's like, man, like once you get used to seeing that where you're like, wow, there's no, you're watching it and you go like, I have to pay attention because nothing will be wasted in this show. Yeah. It was just a TV show. Like it's like nothing will be wasted. Yeah. Right. There's some stuff. When you talk about collecting stories, I told you all the time about like, remember that episode. This happens like I am stealing that shit. I am not even like <laughs> borrowing it. I am stealing that. That yeah. is so smart. Yeah, you know, and it happens over and over and over again. Um, they, it, it was just next level. There's also know? a really great thing that people don't think about very much. Um, so, for instance, Hitchcock said he never made a whodunit um, because, I mean, maybe he did early in his career, but basically he said, I don't like whodunits because whodunits are essentially a puzzle and there's nothing emotional in it. And I think he's right that it's a puzzle. And if you like puzzles, yeah. then that's fine. But it's, there's nothing emotional in it. Um, what's interesting about Columbo is it starts with the murder and you know exactly how and why the person did it. Right? <laughs> so you see Fans them. are all so good. You're like, there's no way he's going to solve that. That's right. 
Like they're, the, they're not like leaving dumb clues around and stuff. No, no. So you go, well, there's no way they covered this. They covered their bases here. Uh, like what they yeah. did. Right. So you see that part of it. So, you know, from the beginning, and this is a hard thing to teach people because they, it, they would want to save it, save it to the end. That's the big surprise. Yeah. That's the big thing. Uh-huh. No, yeah. Columbo was on for a million years. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and they always started with the murder, and you always knew who did it. You always knew why they did it. You knew what the deal was. Uh, there was all, often, that was a whole section of the piece before Columbo ever shows up. He shows up because the homicide detective. He showed up when, shows up when there's a murder. And it's not about if he's going to catch them. You know that. Um, uh-huh. It's not about who did it. You know that. It's about how he does it. Um, and I always think that that's true. So, so when people are worried about being predictable. Like, well, of course, Indiana Jones is going to get out of this or whatever. It's like, yeah, we all know that. How he gets out is the survival information. So that's why we watch. We don't watch because it's going to, you know, it's what surprises us is how he gets out, how he thinks, yeah. you know, how resourceful I, the character is. I, I think, and I could be wrong on this. I have to go back and read the pilot. But like, I'm like, what is the, the, super objective what is the armature for the series and i keep coming back to pride comes before the fall oh like yeah and, sure and it's like this show it's so brilliant again <laughs> yeah. i think people watch it and they're like oh yeah it starts a little different you know it starts with like you see the murder and all that stuff and, <laughs> yeah yeah but, but the fact that you take this guy who's always like now i'm not smart about doing things but it occurred <laughs> to me when yeah. i was talking to my wife or whatever yeah. and, and you go like and he always is up against this person is the best magician in the world. This right. person is this, this yeah. you know, trillionaire. This person, and it's beautiful because it's the it's the wise fool, right? Right. Um, and in fact, there's a place where they started misstepping about halfway through the series, where they started kind of hinting at the fact that he knew he was smart. Yes. And then they started pulling it back a little bit, and I was like, "Don't do that. Don't turn him into this guy who's like putting a shine on." No. Right. He yeah. is smart, but don't. They had started using these extended shots where you'd see him kind of going like. Like, I got you type of a thing. It's right. like, no, it's better. It's better that he's so much smarter than everybody. He never lets his hand show. No, right? it's great when he um, does that. But it's beautiful the way that they did this thing. Uh, but it, it, anyways, it's just like, I think that it gets dismissed because it's so simple and it's yeah. so well done. It's frictionless, right? So you're just yeah. like, but man, but when you watch it from a craft perspective, especially those first three seasons, it's like, get out of here with <laughs> I this know. show. I know. You know? No, it's, it's like, amazing. There's just no better detective. No, it's really he's he's really great to watch. Peter Falk is great in the, you can the writing learn about is contrast good. in it. You can yeah. like it's like all the principles are on display in that show. Yeah, um, to a whole different level. Also, another thing that we talked about was the um, is the invisible character, which is a brilliant tool to have in your toolbox. Mm-hmm. Um, on the DVDs, it shows there's these Columbo Mrs. Columbo specials, and I refuse to watch them because. Because that ruins it, and I, I'm sure it was just a money grab or something. To, yeah, you know, it was. But, but was popular, that, they, yeah. Yeah, but but I never want to see him because you never see Mrs. Columbo. He talks about it. it's such a beautiful yeah. way, you know, um, device. Yeah. Right? Where he'd be like, you know, my wife has been trying to get me to do tango lessons, and I always told her, and it's a beautiful way for him to get, like, stuff out. Yeah. And to set things up, yeah. And I was, and so I was talking to you guys. I like Brian. At some point, we should talk about the invisible, the invisible, not invisible creature. That's our friend. It's yeah, the invisible character. Right. Right. Um, well, because you know I mean? they're they're um, 
the invisible character, and that's that that's a, the the term that I first heard used when talking about, it, and and it was um, first there used to be a show called Duffy's Tavern. It was a radio show, became a television show early on. And Duffy's Taverns was sort of a Cheers, if you know Cheers, <laughs> of its time, uh-huh. and uh, but Duffy was never on the show, so the the phone would ring. And so I say, Duffy's Tavern, whatever the character's name, so-and-so speaking. No, Duffy ain't here. Duffy was never there. Um, from what I understand, on Cheers, they had been big fans of Duffy's Tavern. And so they uh, used the idea of the invisible character. So uh, in that show, Norm's wife, Vera, is never seen. You never see Vera. Yeah. And it's one of the hear- best running, like, yeah. yeah. And, and... Later on Frasier, Niles' wife, Maris, you never see. Yep. Right? Brilliant. And it's great because you can paint any picture you want. Like, Maris is unbelievably skinny. Like, nobody can be that skinny and live kind of skinny. Yeah. yeah but yeah. Th- they make jokes about her all the time, and you believe them because you've never seen her. Right. Um, Hiding you know. behind a broom or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. They make jokes like that, and it's like, oh, it's, they can make her a cartoon character because she doesn't yeah. exist. Um, yeah, it's a great, but Columbo's wife is an invisible character. She never appears. Yeah. She's never there. You never hear her voice. She never, she's just somewhere, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but it's, it's a device. It's, it, it's a great device because you'll also see that he gets teamed up a lot with new detectives. Why? So he can explain how he's thinking. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's like that just show. It's like, if you just want to like start putting tools in the toolbox, Columbo is such a great place to start. But even this, this goes back to, okay, great. Just to bring it back, right? What was the original? What was the original like? Like point, right? Um, stories at work work forever, mm-hmm. right? And and it was interesting that even when we talk about Columbo, you went, well, you got to understand there was Duffy's Tavern, and Duffy's Tavern led to Cheers, and Cheers led, you know, to to, to Frasier, and then and then you got to understand that it, all these people knew of this thing, and then it was, you know, this person grabbed it and used it for Columbo, and this person used it over here. It's just there's a reason these things work. I think when I was talking about Columbo, you even mentioned that it was from, there was a character in. Uh, There's a character in, um, in uh, Crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which I've never read because it's a big old thick Russian novel. Uh, but I, I, I plan on listening to it one day. <laughs> but, uh-huh. uh, but in there, apparently there's a character, um, a detective, who uh, kind of pretends he doesn't know anything. So he's like, well, I'm just a simple police officer, you know, and he's always, and so I guess the, the, the guys who created Columbo really liked that character and wanted to do a character like that. Um, so smart. Yeah. But really again, smart. you're reading the old stuff. Yeah. Right. And you're like, oh, this is, there's something here. I can do that. I can use this. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, when I was writing Freeman, which is out of print, but the screenplay that I wrote that I published it some point anyway in that character i mean in that story there's a there's a there's a runaway slave in the in the story a former runaway slave in the story anyway it doesn't matter but there's a there's a guy who used to be a slave catcher who's after him and this guy um so so in my research one of the things i found out is during during those times uh you know there were slaves and there were poor white people and poor white people had a really hard time getting work because there were slaves Right. So, you know, so uh, they poor white people in the South had it rough because there were people who worked for free, essentially. 
Um, poor white people were always just like now, you know. Um, and in fact, the term white trash goes way back. Um, you know, seen as less intelligent and all these things. And so one of the jobs, though, they could get is being uh, either an overseer on a plantation that's kind of foreman or being like a breeder of, of dogs that track runaway slaves or um, called Negro dogs, they call them, right, just for that purpose. Uh, mm -hmm. President Zachary Taylor used to breed these kinds of dogs. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, but that, that's what they, and or you could be a slave catcher. And so I created this character who I actually thought a lot about Columbo when I was writing him because he, uh, because he's not thought of as very smart, right? Uh, he's able to use that to his advantage at times. Um, mm -hmm. But he's just, he's unbelievably smart, but he doesn't talk like a smart guy. You know, he has a kind of thick Appalachian accent and doesn't sound like a smart person, but is unbelievably smart. Um, because I needed, you know, I need somebody smart to be that villain in that piece. Um, but I thought, yeah, here's a character. One of the things that I, I could do with that character is I made him a really good slave catcher because um, he understood that the people he were hunting were not below him and that they were human beings too. And he's been dismissed, so he doesn't make that mistake with other people, and that's what makes him... Uh, so he's kind of a complicated character in that way. Cause yeah, but he's such a good character. Yeah, but there's a lot of Columbo in him. Mm. There's a lot of Columbo no, that, in him. That, that makes sense now that you point that out. Yeah. It's just what I loved about Freeman is he's such a, a distinct character, mm -hmm. right? And you can tell that, like, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Right? Um, and he's brilliant, but he's not. He's brilliant in a, in a, in a different way. Yeah. Right? And yeah. If, you read the, if you read your script, obviously, you know, people will see that. All right, cool. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, but but this is this is the big thing. It's like once oh, it's how do people start to like remember? Like if you're sitting there and you're stuck, if you're trying to figure something out, remember like there's a reason why those other stories lasted. Yeah. Right. Um, and it and it's just funny because like again when you just said that simple line, you know, when you're like stories that work work forever, it it started unlocking all these doors, and so at least for me, and mm -hmm. so I hope that it's that it's also true for the folks that are listening. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, and the other thing I think that people should remember is that it's a practice and that um, it's just like if you had to do sit-ups every day or go for a run every day or whatever it is, your exercises, sit down and read an Aesop's Fable, you know, every day. It's not, it's not that hard and it will, um, it's your exercises, you, you know? I, I, it's funny because I didn't even think about it, but here at the agency, uh, you know, Monday mornings, you always give an armature of the week. Mm-hmm. For the same exact reason. Well, you'll, it'll be one armature, and then you'll be like, this is why I picked this armature, mm -hmm. right? Um, but just as a, that's just a little practice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think to not forget it's a practice is also important. Mm -hmm. um, and to know that stories are around you all the time, and the more you can see them and relate them to life, um, the, the easier it will be to create stories, too, because you won't separate it from life. I think that's a yeah. mistake people make a lot. Mm. They separate well, separated from life. That's so true. I mean, because people will separate. They'll be like, well, there's stories over here. The same exact scene happens on, on my side of the fence with marketing and branding, right? Yeah. Where I'll be like, people don't understand that, like, you want a brand that actually lasts and has brand symphony, it needs an armature, right? Businesses that work have an armature. It's all the same stuff. Like, right. all these things you always talk about apply to 
all these different things. Um, and, and it's just once you understand the logic, then you can apply it in all these different ways, right? It's not just about stories. It's about life. It's about all communication. It's about finding focus. If I could, you know, if you need an armature to be focused on a story, guess what a business needs? It's the same. Again, it's understand the logic, be able to see the logic in nature, collect the armatures. They'll start soaking in. Um, and, you know, just kind of do the work, right? Yeah, do, do the work. Um, and if you do a little bit every day, you know, it, yeah. that stuff will be there when you need it. When, you're, when you've got to write that story or do that campaign or whatever, that stuff will be there when you need it. Um, yep. Yeah. So Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks. This program is produced in Seattle, Washington by Belief Agency.